Well, before we jump in, we've been doing this every single week in this series. I'm going to put, or uh, sorry, Heidi's going to put up uh, Acts chapter 2 on the screen. And can we leave this out, read this out together uh, as we jump in this morning? This is Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Michelle. God, we just, again, before we go any further, God, we just give you this morning. God, have your way. God, have your way in this place. Amen. Into the Wild tells the story of, of a man named Christopher McCandles. Um, it was, it's originally a book. It's, it's composed of his journals that was then turned into a, a motion picture or a film that was uh, produced by Sean Penn. But it's, the story is called Into the Wild. In May of 1990, Christopher graduated from university with high honors. Uh, he, he had a perfect family. He, he came from money. His parents were able to give him anything he wanted. Um, he had really the, pic, the picture-perfect American family. But as some of us know, perfect doesn't always hide everything. He grew up watching his parents manipulate and, and loathe one another his father achieved many things. I think he worked for NASA, and he, 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 he achieved a lot of things, but that achievement came at a high cost. You know, in his achievement and in his, in his, in his success kind of left this, this wake of brokenness in his family. The American dream his parents were chasing left, as I just said, a wake of, of brokenness and lies and deceit. Instead of following his parents' detailed plan for his life, um, Christopher uh, destroyed his credit cards. He destroyed all of his identification, his social, what is it in the States? Not social security. Is that right? Social, whatever that important number is that you need to get everywhere. Um, he destroyed that and his passport and everything he would need. He just destroyed it and he disappeared. He disappeared. He never told his family. He just, he just got up and left. He packed a backpack and he filled it with his closest friends, his books. He left everything he knew behind in order to find what he would say real meaning. He was heavily influenced by an American author in the 1800s named Henry Thoreau, who wrote books like Walden and others. Um, he just he left. He left what he left what he knew behind in order to find something that, in his mind, needed to truly matter. The journey eventually led him to this abandoned bus in the Alaskan wilderness. Um, where Christopher was finally alone, isolated from a world that in his mind had only ever lied to him and had only ever hurt him. Christopher was looking for silence, and he, and he found it. But, but was, he really, was he really finding what he was looking for? Maybe in the escape, maybe in the solitude away from it all, he'll find meaning. Maybe away from everything he did not want, he would find what he absolutely wanted. Henry Thoreau once said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front all the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn 
what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. We may not all want to escape to the Alaskan wilderness. To me, that sounds pretty cool. But we all create our escapes, don't we? We all create our escapes. We, we're met face to face with a hurting and a broken world or our own kind of brokenness or bad days. And we, we have our places that we go. We binge watch Netflix. We work insane amount of hours. You know, we shop. We get addicted or form addictions to this or that. We eat peanut M&Ms and Reese peanut butter cups. Someone once told me they do that a lot. I think his name was John Lamus. What? Um, but let's be honest, right? Nobody enjoys their world falling apart. Now, that's, not, that's not good news. We actually, we avoid falling apart at all costs, don't we? You know, we achieve, we accomplish, we do everything in our power to be happy and to not fall apart. So let me ask a question. Was, 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 with the very little that you actually know of Christopher's life and why he did what he did, was he wrong? Was Christopher wrong? Or, or was, he, was he maybe actually onto something? Maybe he was allowing himself to see something that, that many of us maybe don't really want to see. Maybe what we're building oftentimes doesn't leave to where we thought it would go. You know, when we get to the end of ourselves, we, we have places that we go. Oftentimes we call them coping mechanisms. Oftentimes one of the last things we do, though, is pray, isn't it? One of the last things we do is pray. I, w- I wonder why that is. Even if someone doesn't believe in God, prayer seems to be a place you go when you are at the end of yourself. You know, in movies or in stories, oftentimes you'll hear a character at the end of themselves say, God, if you're out there, or God, I know we haven't talked in a while, or God, if you're you're out there, can you hear me? You know, maybe in our pursuit for comfort, we've left something crucial behind. In a world that is hurting, Is finding our human-made escapes the answer? Have we found the answers that we're looking for? What we just read here a minute ago in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we read that they they devoted themselves to prayer. So this week as I was studying and I was asking the Lord, like, God, what, what what is the prayer that they devoted themselves to? Like praying for who? Praying for what? Because let's be honest, prayer is a pretty huge topic, Right? Well, if they devoted themselves to prayer, what, what, what prayer did they devote themselves to? It's, it's a pretty elaborate, broad-stroke statement. But there's a moment that Jesus has with his closest friends that, that I really think give us a whole new insight as to what they actually devoted themselves to. So let's jump in together. In Matthew 6, in verse, starting in verse 9, it's one of two places in the Gospels that we find what we now call the Lord's Prayer. You can find that in, in Luke 11 as well. But both accounts give, give this moment where the apprentices or the disciples of Jesus ask Jesus very point blank, how do we pray? Throughout the Gospels, Jesus would often break away from his friends. He would break away from the crowd to do what? To pray. So it would make sense if his closest friends or his disciples would actually see this happening often and then go to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, can you teach, teach us to pray like you do? Teach us to pray like you. This is how Jesus responds. Matthew 6, verse 9. This, then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now, there's more there, but I just want us to focus on that first half. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Essentially, Jesus is is showing his followers basically two realities from the beginning or the first half of this. One is that God's will is done in heaven. It seems like that's what Jesus is saying here. And then number two, Jesus is inviting that on the earth. So Jesus begins by by addressing God as who? How does he address God at the beginning of this prayer? As Father right? As Father. This is an intimate way to see God. God is not, you know, far off and distant and cold. No. Jesus, to Jesus, God is Father. He is close. He is intimate, and he is inviting his followers and his friends to see God in the same way. God as Father. And then he goes and says, hallowed be your name. Jesus said, hallowed be your name. Now, what does that mean? Hallowed is this Greek word. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for a second. Andrew and I were looking this up earlier in order to pronounce it correctly, and it has also now slipped my mind. So I'm not even going to try. So it is that word. (laughs) And it literally means, now, this is important. It's a verb. This isn't a noun. This isn't a name. This is a verb. It's an action. So it means to consecrate, to make holy, to sanctify and hallow, to treat as holy. And we've talked about this before. God is holy. He is other. He is a category of his own. He is better than. He is the most beautiful thing. God has a whole other category that he himself owns. But it's not even just that God is holy. This is the cool thing. It's not just that God is holy. It would seem that the way Jesus is praying here is that the space where God's presence is becomes holy. It's not just that God is holy. It's the fact that where he decides to rest, that place becomes holy. Throughout this series, we've been talking about how the world is broken and a mess because we, as human beings, believe the lie that we didn't need God's presence to have a good world. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve said, you know, God, we've got it from here. Thanks so much. It's been great. Thanks for all the fruit, but we like this one, so you can leave. And something we said last week is since that moment, we have been selfishly kind of indulging in whatever we want in order to satisfy the ache that we actually ourselves created. We react. You know, we we see and we experience evil or brokenness in the world or a bad day, and we react. You know, we start building something that we can control. We try to put a Band-Aid on it, and we call it success or we call it achievement. But unfortunately... Band-Aids don't really work well on gaping wounds. They don't really work. And we see this throughout history. We see this even in the time of Jesus. We've talked about this before. There are two major power structures at work in the first century. One would be the religious system of the day, and the way that it reacted to establish control was to decide who was in and who was out. I want to control this, so I'm going to decide who's in, who's out. I'm wrong. Or Sorry, no, they definitely didn't do that. I'm right, you're wrong. I fit in, I have the power, you do not, so know your place. And the political power, the Roman Empire at the time, did the exact same thing. It reacts by establishing control. I conquer you by violence and force. I am greater, you are less. I have defeated you, so now you must become my slaves. 
But here's, but here, this is why that doesn't work. Here's why that doesn't work. Even though we desire to fix something that's broken, that's good, right? Like, it is good to want to desire to fix. We see a broken world, or we see famine, or we see disasters. We want to do something about it. That's a good thing. But, but wars still happen, don't they? Famine still happens. Pandemics still happen. Poverty, sickness, death, and affairs. Why is that? Even in our best attempt to fix, why do bad things still happen? Because ultimately, we bring our own brokenness with us, don't we? <laughs> we try to fix things that are broken, but oftentimes, we're still broken when we try to fix them. Jesus is showing the disciples a completely different way. Jesus is showing his followers that basically the world doesn't get fixed by their own abilities. Jesus is reminding his closest friends that the only way that the world is put back together is through the presence of God. Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, kingdom is kind of a strange word for us. We don't really have an understanding of the word kingdoms because really we don't really like monarchies here in the West. We like shows about them and we like watching them from afar, but don't you come here and tell me what to do. Right? right? Like we, we are, in a sense, a, a reaction against monarchies, aren't we? We live in a democracy. So a kingdom is a country or a state or a territory that is ruled by a king or queen. The will or desire of the king or queen is done in the realm of their kingdom. But here's the thing. The only way that a kingdom works is if the people that are living in the kingdom submit to what the king or queen want. Jesus is using this picture to show his disciples how to pray. He's using this picture to show them how to pray. He's using this metaphor to show his disciples how a broken world is put back together. By inviting God to rule and reign on earth as he does in heaven. God is holy. We've established that. He is very good. He is perfect and he is whole. He is complete. Where God's presence is becomes holy, good, perfect, and whole. It becomes complete. Jesus, here in this prayer, is confronting the lie that we don't need God's presence to have a good world. And how is he confronting it? By establishing the truth through prayer. Through prayer, submitting and inviting God to come and fill the world he created. Submitting and living and inviting God to come and put things back together that we ourselves broke. Jesus is confronting the lie by declaring truth. God, your presence is the only thing that can put things back together. And he does this through prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. The thing is, submitting isn't our strongest personality trait. <laughs> it's really not. Let's just be honest. Acknowledging that we don't have the right answer is not our go-to. We like having the right answer, don't we? We actually like being the right answer. There's a whole other level to it. We like being the right answer. You know, when we have a bad day, we like fixing it or trying to. When we have, you know, a goal to achieve, we like achieving it. We, when we feel lost, we like finding a way. And that's not all bad. There's some goodness there. But, but what about the deeper things? What about when a bad day turns into a bad everything? <laughs> right? What about when we keep achieving, but we can't seem to land where we want to? 
What about when we keep finding a way, but the way didn't lead that we found, the way that we found didn't lead where we thought it would? To pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, is admitting that we don't know what to do next. We don't have the answer. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. We tend to be quite stubborn. <laughs> we like our own way, at least I do. Eventually, you know, we'll figure it out. Eventually, we'll find the right answer. It's like when I try to braid Adeline's hair. I do a really terrible job at it. <laughs> I, I want to be able to do her hair. I, I love that the girls will come to me, and they'll hand me a brush and the elastic, and they're like, hey, Dad, can you do a French braid? I'm like, no way. But, but like, Jessie will try. She'll try and help me and show me, and my usual response is, no, babe, I got this. Let it be known publicly in this room, I don't got this. <laughs> I don't got this. <laughs> I need help or it looks really terrible. I can do a bun. I can do a loose bun really well. I'm very proud of that. On my own, I don't have the ability to do it. On my own, I don't have the ability to do it. I need someone who knows better than me to show me how to do it. I need to submit to the one who knows better in order for me to learn. I can't get there on my own. I've never braided this. <laughs> I don't know, and I know it's a silly example, but it really shows, I think, the invitation from Jesus. By praying, God, you are holy. By praying, God, you are better. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I am acknowledging that I don't know what to do next. I can't fix what I see in front of me. I can't fix myself. I can't fix my family. But God, you can. God, you can. So I submit to what you want to do. Come here and do it. We've been saying this phrase over this series, and next week we're going to finish it up together, but we've been using this phrase. It's a space in the world where the culture of heaven is in the midst of a people filled with the presence of God. Instead of living into a story of, of reaction, of, of building our own way, the church gets to live into a story of submission. Notice my word choice there. They get to live into a story of submission. Submitting to King Jesus. God's kingdom here among us, which is really the only reality that will fix a broken world. That is a culture of heaven in the midst of a people. We, we can't create a culture of heaven. We, we can't, we can't like, manipulate it to come. We, we can't manufacture the culture of heaven. Only, we prayed it this morning, only God can bring a culture of heaven. It comes with his presence. Our beginning point as the church is acknowledging the greatness and the goodness and the holiness of God and inviting him to come and fill the space that we find ourselves and for our space, it's Graham and Ann Island. Everything Jesus did came from that place. You know, when everything is going good and we have absolutely all that we need, we still pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we're at the end of ourselves and we have nothing left to give, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we get the doctor's report that we did not expect and we did not want, God, your kingdom come, God, your will be done. When we get the raise and we get the job promotion, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
But then when we get like job out, job interview after job interview, and we just cannot seem to land the thing that we need, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus didn't have any other posture. It was always, God, what you want to do, may it be done. So for us, if we're followers of Jesus and if we're the church, there's really no other posture. There isn't a point where we can say, okay, God, thanks. You know, we can take it from here. Appreciate you. Right, because when we do that, what happens? We move from building God's kingdom, God's way, and we start building our own. But what we see from the early followers of Jesus, the beginning of the church, is a group of people who had very little. They had very little, but they prayed, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's the amazing thing, friends. You know what God said? Okay. God said, okay. The good news is that God does not leave a broken world broken when his people pray. When his people pray, God begins to knit things back together. Because God wants to fill the world he created with his goodness. We don't have to convince him to do it. He desires to do it. I just think he wants his people to desire it like he does. There it is. Do we ache for the same thing God does? God continued to pour out his presence to the point where, really, we sit here today in this room on Grandma Ann Island at Lighthouse Church. Throughout every moment in history, I'm going to invite Michelle to come up. Through every moment in history, throughout pain and hopelessness, through victories and joy, through persecution and death, through world wars, through pandemics, through famines and, and, and financial crisis and natural disasters, you can look throughout all of history and you can see pinpoints where God has continued to pour out his presence into his hurting world, putting it back together. Why? If you look at every single one of those moments where God poured out his spirit, there's one continued theme that just plays out through history. And you know what that is? God's people prayed. Because people pray. His church, pray. Instead of reacting, <laughs> instead of figuring it out on our own, building our better plans or our better system, what's the deciding factor? The church prays. God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done. A space in the world where the culture of heaven is in the midst of a people filled with the presence of God. N.T. Wright wrote this, Jesus' resurrection, as we're going closer and closer to, to Easter, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer was all about. We're living in very unknown and very unpredictable time in history. We really are. But I believe if we are marked by the presence of God, and we continue to submit ourselves to King Jesus and pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're open and surrendered to God, the God of the universe who knows better than we do. I think he's gonna keep saying, okay, I will do what you ask. But we have to acknowledge the fact that we just, we just can't get there on our own. Our human systems, our best attempts, even in the purest of intentions, they just, they can't, they can't heal an entire broken world. 
They can't heal a broken island. They can't even heal our broken families, really. What we've been exploring in this series is that the only power that can heal a broken world is the presence of God. It's being marked by His presence. The church becomes the vehicle in which that happens only when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, and I believe we are in a time where, quite honestly, and we were talking about this in pre-gathering prayer, I, I think we need, to, we need to deeply devote ourselves to prayer. I think, I think they devoted themselves to prayer in the early church. What we read at the beginning is because there's peace in that, isn't there? There's peace in saying, God, you, you know better than I do. So I'm going to cry out to you and I'm going to respond to whatever you have to say, but I'm going to start with you. I can't fix any of it. Jesus said this in John 14, 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. God, you are the peace that we need. God, you are the joy that we need. God, you are the love and the mercy we need. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. So here's the invitation for us today. I think especially in the times we live in, here's a question I want us to ask. Are we devoted to prayer in such a way that it is the first thing that we do? Jane and I this morning, we're having a just awesome conversation about that. Oftentimes, as I said at the beginning, isn't it, isn't it strange that it's like kind of the last thing that we do? Are we devoted to prayer in such a way that it's the first thing that we do? You know, before we panic, before we try to fix things, big or small, before we want to go to our escape, are we people who pray? But what if that was what we were known for? What if that's what Lighthouse Church was known for as a people who pray? And I, I mean really pray who desperately cry out to God for your kingdom to come because that is the only way that we will see our island healed in the name of Jesus. It's that good of news. It, it's actually that good. And sometimes that seems really far-fetched. I know that's like, a, like heal our whole island. What does that even mean? But you know what's crazy? Nothing about the early church was fancy. There's a group of people living in the upstairs of an attic fighting for their lives because they were, <laughs> they were going to be arrested and killed just like Jesus. But you know what they did? They prayed. And they actually crippled an entire Roman Empire because they loved, because they took care of each other, because they said, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. We need you. When I dream and I, I pray for us, I pray for you guys every day. And when I do, I, I, I look out years down the road and I see, I see our friends. Like, I love when you share with me the friends and family members that should be sitting in this room with us that aren't. I love when you share that with me. And I, man, let me tell you, I pray for them. And, and, and I dream and I pray years down the road. We have celebrations in here because they're home. But it's not going to be a more relevant church that brings them in. It's not going to be cool lights and cool sounds and awesome whatever, fireworks off the stage and pyrotechnics. That would be really dangerous. We're never going to do that. <laughs> but that is not what's going to heal our island. It is the presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit. 
And what have we been saying? It was prayed into this morning by two of my good friends. I was like weeping this morning when they prayed it. We got to let it spill over. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't put a cork on it so that we can protect it. No, we let it spill over. We let it spill over. If we believe that God is good, if we believe and know that his purposes are good, that whatever we have to give up is probably for our best anyway. Because when we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, our kingdoms and our will probably need to go over here. (laughs) All of this, this building, all of you here in this room, Jesse and I coming to Graham and Ann, Andrew and Michelle and Hope and Adam, all of this, those Tim and Luke and pastors way past, all of that is because people prayed. God, have your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I don't want to settle for anything less. So here's, here's another re-invitation for all of us today. This is why we pray every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. God, have your way. Absolutely, there's things that come up and we pray for needs and we pray for healing and we pray for those who are sick and those who are facing hard things. Absolutely, but that's not where we start. We don't start with, hey, these are all the things I need, God. I got 10 minutes. Fix this. No, like we start by saying, God, we are here and we are waiting on you to know what to do next. And you know what happens every Wednesday at 7 a.m.? We have places to go and pray for because God responds and we've been writing them down and it has been beautiful to watch God respond to those things. It's working. That's why we come here at 9.30 every single Sunday morning and we pray because we need, we need to start our mornings together in this place by saying, God, have your way. And you know what's crazy? He's responding. He's doing it. And it's not about being good at prayer. I just, I even said that this morning. You don't have to be good at prayer to come. You just have to be a human being who loves Jesus. Who wants to experience more. Who's maybe restless because they haven't experienced all that they thought they would. Come and pray. Bring your angst. Bring your frustrations. Bring your worries. Bring your fears. Bring your your dissatisfaction. Because you know what? God's big enough to handle it all. So we come and we bear our soul. There's nothing more exciting than being at the end of yourself and watching God do what he promised. It's rough, but there is no other place I would rather be. I want to invite you to come and pray. So prayer room every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pre-gathering prayer here in this room every Sunday morning at 9.30. Christopher McAndles, he saw the brokenness in the world around him and his family you know, and his mother and his father and a society really as a whole around him. He saw the trajectory of his life living in a system that ultimately left people more empty than full. And he, he really wanted nothing to do with it. So he, so he escaped. <laughs> he ran away. But you know what? He, he might have been onto something. I, I think he was right. I think the angst and the feeling of this isn't working or this isn't what life should be was right. But here's the thing. He found silence and he found escape, but did he find meaning? 
There's a moment that's recorded in his journal at the end of his life. He got to this bus in the, in the wilderness of Alaska and he, and he unfortunately didn't live much longer. He ate something and he got sick. But, but scribbled on a page, at, I think it was Hunter's, they found him eventually. Scribbled in a book, one of his favorite books, he managed to write this phrase. Happiness is only real when shared. Happiness is only real when shared. When we react to brokenness and build our own version of rescue and safety, unfortunately, we still carry our brokenness with us. We don't, we don't ultimately find what we're looking for when we're the ones building. But when we get to the end ourselves, God is right there. He's waiting to be invited into the brokenness and bring his kingdom, his grace, his goodness, his love, his faithfulness, his healing, his mercy, and his grace. Will we be a community of Jesus followers who get to the end of ourselves and desperately cry out, your kingdom come, your will be done? Will we be a community like that? Will we be a community of Jesus followers who will not settle for anything but God having his way on Graham and Anne as it is in heaven? Because that's the beautiful invitation. The invitation is, when you get to the end of yourself, I'm right there and watch what I'm gonna do. And there are stories I know all over this room of people getting to the end of themselves and crying out, God, I need you to come and I need you to do what you promised. And sometimes there are these powerful stories of, of victory and some of you honestly are still praying for that. Maybe there's somebody that you want to be sitting beside you right now that hasn't been. Will we be a community that doesn't give up when the prayer isn't answered yet? Or will we contend and say, no, I will be here and I will pray because I know God, when your kingdom comes and your will is done, healing and restoration begins to happen.